thank you for those beautiful songs and, and thank you for singing along, congregation. Those are, uh, those are powerful uh, lyrics and, and truths that we sang about. I, I, uh, I wish I'd have preached first and sang last because uh, those things go right together. The core message of the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the gospel, the salvation that comes through Jesus is the story and the reality that Jesus died for us. He died for our sins on the cross. He gave his last drop of blood, spent his last breath, gave it all to bear the guilt of our sin, to pay the wrath of God that is due to sin. And he was buried after he died. But the gospel is not only that. It begins there. Those are powerful truths. But the gospel message is also that Jesus triumphed over the grave and over death. And it was confirmed that he triumphed over death, physical death, by the fact that he appeared to over 500 witnesses in his time. And the, gospel, uh, the, the Bible records those names. Those names circulated for people who first heard that good news about the life of Jesus and the resurrection, where they could go and confirm all of these people. Think about that, 500 people that you could go to and would say, yes, it's hard to believe, but I saw him alive after he was killed. And our living hope as Christians is linked to that reality of the resurrection that Jesus died and was raised from the dead and those who are in Christ, likewise, who experience death will be raised. We are promised the same future as Jesus when we are found in Him. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning where we find the most detailed biblical teaching about our future, our final and ultimate hope that is the resurrection. And these two things are linked. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and our future bodily resurrection. Now I mentioned this the other day a little bit in passing as we're uh, setting our minds on things above and the things that are to come for Christians. And I felt like maybe I should just spend um, this Sunday, this teaching on Really, it's, a, it's an Easter sermon. You know, they have Christmas in July, so we can have Easter in September. We need to preach more about the resurrection. We need to think more about this ultimate hope of the bodily resurrection. In 1 Corinthians, the word body is used 46 times. 46 times in this book of instruction from God through Paul to the Corinthian church and to us, he talks about the importance of the body. And yet, for many, Christianity is this otherworldly, anti-body type thing. And I want to show you today. And I want us to focus on this great truth about the bodily resurrection. Just as we've seen in recent weeks, that the restoration of the entire cosmos, the new heaven and the new earth, is linked with the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we find out in 1 Corinthians Specifically in 1524, that resurrection day is also linked with the second coming of Jesus. So here's the thing, as you're thinking about end times, what's to come, 
Jesus is to come. And that is what is going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth and also our bodily restoration, our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Christ was resurrected bodily as the first fruits of the resurrection. And afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. When will I be resurrected? When Jesus comes. D.A. Carson, he's probably, I think he's the greatest living theologian, Bible teacher uh, today. He clarifies for us some helpful things about the Christian term resurrection when he says this. First of all, it, that is resurrection, refers to the resurrection of Jesus and then our resurrection on the last day. By resurrection, I do not mean something like living forever in a spirit existence or the like, but living again in bodily mode after the body has died, coming back from the dead in real bodies, but ultimately in transformed bodies. He says the resurrection is first and foremost about Jesus, and then it means something for us. It means this fact that after this earthly body has died, we will not just live on in a ghostly spiritual existence, but instead in a real bodily existence, but a transformed body. And that captures really much of what we're going to talk about today. And so I would say to you that the, first, uh, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is ripe for your study and for your and my edification. So many great truths there. It is the resurrection chapter of the Bible. But today, I want our particular focus to be on the resurrection body. Our, if you will, heavenly bodies. Our spiritual bodies. And we think about spiritual and body almost seems like they don't go together. But that's what it says we'll have. Spiritual, resurrected, or heavenly bodies. So, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. First of all, verse 35, which sets the stage for what we're going to see in this study. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Paul is defending the Christian gospel truth of our bodily resurrection. The fact that we will actually have bodies when Jesus comes again. A different kind of body. That teaching, that reality, that gospel truth has been disputed or distorted or flat out denied by some of the teachers or some of the people in the Corinthian church. And he's addressing it head on in this chapter. And he poses or puts the question in this form that people might be asking. He, I think he's exploring, well, what is, what is the problem here? Why are people denying, disputing, and distorting the truth of the bodily resurrection for Christians? And so he puts these questions out there that maybe they have been put to him verbatim. I don't know. But he supposes that some of the doubters of our bodily resurrection simply can't fathom how a dead person, a buried person, a decayed body can come back to life. Oh, sure, we can think about it for Jesus because he is God. But, but I just don't see how that can be the case for us. How can a person be reconstituted, remade, and resurrected after they've been long dead? After, you know, Jesus was only in the tomb for, for three days. He wasn't, you know, decayed and all of that. And we think about it as we're, we're remembering things like 9-11. You know, we think about, you know, is there hope for a bodily resurrection for people whose physical bodies are scattered 
to the wind in some sort of terrible accident or things like that. I, you know, the Christian um, idea of burial rather than being burned or things like that. I mean, Christian burial in graveyards were important to early Christians because they felt like it spoke to the fact of the bodily resurrection. But what about those people who choose to be cremated? Can those people be bodily resurrected? And so I think a lot of these kinds of questions were probably on their minds thinking, I just don't see how that can occur. And the questions, remember, being answered are, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body are they, they going to come? They just couldn't fathom this. And so we see now, Paul is going to help them understand it. Even with what we see in this creation, he, he gives some resurrection analogies from God's creation that exists right now. Let's look at verses 36 through 44. <laughs> this is not very nice and pastoral. He begins, you fool! That is this, this theoretical person who's saying, I just don't see how it can happen. I, I just don't see. I mean, with what kind of body would you come? He starts off, you fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Here you go, some, some resurrection analogies from God's creation. Agriculture, the animal kingdom, and astronomy. The resurrection illustrations from agriculture. And he uses seeds like of wheat or some kind of grain and the idea of putting seed in the ground and it produces a seedling and a plant that is vastly different from the seed itself. So what comes up out of the ground when you put a seed in it doesn't look like a big version of the seed it's different it's a green plant that comes up and maybe has beautiful beautiful flowers and just it's totally different but the idea here is that just as when you put a seed in the ground to get that plant so as the seed dies to give way to that life so must our bodies these physical bodies be put in the ground, or planted, if you will, or they must give way. They must go away so that that greater reality can come. You know, you put a little wheat seed in the ground and a wheat plant comes up. And they're different modes of existence, but their essence, their genetic material, their identity is the same. It's just a different form, a more complex form possibly. And so it is with the resurrected body. We're resurrected in our bodies, but it's still us, though quite different. The essence, the genetics, if you will, the identity is still us. So he uses agriculture. And then he uses an illustration from the animal kingdom. 
There's different kinds of animals have different flesh. They have different appearances. They have different glory. This, you can look at verse 39. He says, you know, there's humans and then there's other animals. I think probably he has in mind things like uh, beasts of burden. He's got cattle and sheep and things like that. And then he talks about birds and fish. All have a different kind of covering, a different form, a different shape. They make different noises, all of those kinds of things. I was at the county fair this week in Searcy County. And, uh, you, you know, sometimes I wonder about our sanity doing things like that. But, but I was, it was a lot of fun. You lose a lot of sleep and it's a lot of work. But it's, it's fun to watch all of these spectators come through. People don't, don't have animals and they go through, first of all, the cattle barn. And then they ask you, well, where are the pigs? We want to see the pigs. Well, they're right over there and the pigs are just laid out doing what pigs do. They're sleeping or eating. Or something else. But that's about it, you know, for a pig. And they're laying there. And, and then you go over here and there's sheep. And there's all manner of goats. And, and uh, I mean, there's, there's meat goats. There's market goats. There's dairy goats. And those dairy goats, I mean, some have ears. Some don't even have ears. Well, they have little holes where the ears should be. They're crazy looking. Some have wattles hanging down. Some don't. It's just all different. And then you go from there and you go back into the poultry barn. And there is not a more colorful display in the world than a county fair poultry barn. And there are geese and ducks and chickens of all manner. And maybe there's even a few rabbits over in this side, you know, because that's where you put the rabbits because there's no other place for them. All of these different things. And people are just ooing and aahing. I'll tell you, even one of our cows was amazed by ducks and geese. We were out walking, you know, and we have some chickens at the house, but we don't have ducks and geese. And we're out walking, and man, their eyes got about that big when they hear, rack, 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 rack. and it was just all kinds. Of, y'all aren't very excited about this. Go to the county fair this week here in Boone County, and and look at the display of the various kinds of flesh and forms that God has created. There's all different manner, and you know what? Each one suited to its God-given place and purpose. A fish has a different kind of flesh and apparatuses to, to, to be able to survive in the water. And so it is with all of these flying creatures and the different beasts. They are suited to the place that God has put them. And don't you think that a God that can make all of those different kinds of flesh suited to a different purpose and place, don't you think that he can... Give us what we need in the resurrection to thrive in that place even though we don't understand maybe all of what it's about. Yes, he can. And then there's a resurrection analogy or illustration from astronomy, verses 40 and 41. So so maybe we're looking at the micro with these little animals and we zoom out and we look at the macro. We look at the created galaxy in in the universe and there's all these heavenly bodies. There's There's the earth. There's the moon, there's the sun, there are different kinds of stars and all the different stars are different, made up of different things. There's not merely one kind. There are different sorts of beauty that emerge from those things and as you look and we've discovered more and more about the vast array of God's creativity in all of creation and especially in these celestial bodies, we find out that they're all different. Different colors emitting, different um, makeup. For instance, I was looking this up. I don't don't remember anything from science class hardly, you know, but but I looked this up. The sun. The sun is different than the moon. It's different from the earth. The sun consists of this crazy hot core where nuclear fusion is occurring. And and then beyond the 
core, rather than being um, hard, substantial type things, the sun is basically layer after layer after layer of hot, melty, plasma-like helium and hydrogen. You, I mean, you couldn't walk on it. Even if you could withstand the heat, you couldn't walk on it because it's this molten plasma and there's sun flares, these solar flares shooting off and it, Scientists say, we don't even know. There's a little bit of metal in the sun, but we don't even know exactly what it is. But, but the moon is entirely different. The moon is made up of, of rocks. And we know, unless you, you know you're a denier of these things, that, that people have walked actually on the moon. And uh, uh, it's different. It, it, it's substantial. They can walk on it. The moon is made up of things like oxygen and silicon and, and, and iron and aluminum and, and things that are very similar. They're thinking they're even finding um, uh, traces maybe of, of water at one time on the moon. They're not exactly sure, but that's what they're thinking. The temperatures on the moon are anywhere from negative 170 to positive 170 Celsius, whereas on the sun, the temperature can exceed 15 million degrees. Talk about global warming. The moon doesn't really give off light, but instead, what does it do? It reflects the light of the sun. And each of them have their paths and their movements and things that they do in God's design. The sun marks the new day for us. And we even sang about that this morning. The moon marks the times and the seasons. It's a lesser light to illuminate the night. And think about this. Just those two celestial bodies and, and this one. And we don't even know how many millions and billions there are out there that God has created in his infinite ability and wisdom. And they have existed since he spoke creation. And they keep on churning and burning and doing their thing. A generation comes and generation goes. But God has created those things to last until... He restores all of creation. And don't you think God can figure out how to make you live forever, for eternity? And so we have all of these illustrations. What in the world are these things meant to tell us about the resurrection bodies? Verses 42 and 44 point to those things. We have this body, this earthly body, now that God has ordained but we will one day have a resurrection body that's going to be transformed and it's going to be different. It's going to be different. How is it different, you might ask? Well, he gives, and I could just, I could just see Paul writing this thing down and he's getting excited. How is the resurrection body different from this body? Well, <clears throat> when this body is sown, it's planted. When it dies, when it goes away, it goes away in one form that is perishable perishable. It dies. But the resurrection body comes out imperishable. Can never die. Impervious to death. Last night we were having our, uh, our supper and, and man, when you're having tacos it is a sin to run out of salsa and picante sauce. And we're like, oh, what are we going to put the chips in? And so I found bean dip. I like bean dip alright. And, and, and Whitney found some uh, cheese dip in a can. And so she pulls that out, and oh no, that expired May of 2021. I was like, ah, go ahead, eat it. Cheese never expires. 
She did. And she's still here today. That's, she's, she survived. It still had the thing on it. And, and, and just like that little cheese, it probably is perishable, but, but not according to that date. This says we are sown perishable, raised imperishable, no expiration date. In the resurrected body, sown in dishonor. I love the New Living Translation says, sown in brokenness. We were talking about the three circles and how what we see all over God's creation is brokenness of all kinds, even our bodies sown in brokenness. There is not ever a person who dies without having experienced and succumbed to brokenness. Whether it, that is the brokenness of immorality in someone who takes a life or that is the brokenness that we experience within these earthly bodies you will one day succumb to brokenness unless you're alive when Jesus comes again. And we'll talk about how that works in just a minute. But we're sown in brokenness or dishonor. But we are raised in glory. Glory is a beauty, a splendor, a substance that is not given to brokenness. It is pure and good and eternal. Raised in glory. Sown in weakness. And raised in power. And all of these things, perishable, imperishable, dishonor, glory, weakness, power, I think they're all pointing to the similar reality, which is this. The resurrected body will not be given to disorder and decay and disease and death. It is impervious. No more brokenness in your body and in your life. He said it's sown natural. A natural body. What you have right now is a natural body. I looked it up in the Greek. Sitchikos. I think that's how you would say it. The natural. Sitchikos body. That's what you have. It's earthly. That's what that means. Earthly. It's of this world. Of this current physical realm. It's suited to where you're at. And to this part of God's redemptive story, and you're part of his story, that's what you have, a natural body. And that natural body has an expiration date. And that will be sown. Your natural body will be sown. Your Sitchikos body sown. But in the resurrection, it says you'll be raised not natural, but supernatural. Now that's the idea of spirit. Sometimes some translate it the spirit body, the spiritual body. I think the better translation is the supernatural body. And that Greek word, if you care, is pneumaticos. Now, sometimes you think about pneuma, you're being filled with air, right? You're going to be full of hot air. No, no. Pneumaticos is of the spirit. It's a spirit body. It's given by the spirit of God. It's uniquely designed to commune and to relate with God who is spirit and so sown a natural Sitchikos body raised a supernatural spirit pneumaticos body that means you will be suited to interact with God and to live forever with God who is an eternal being in the heavenly places that is the new heavens and the new earth so that is what Paul gets to as we think about these analogies of the resurrection from creation very quickly then he gives some examples and moves over to heredity 
Now, heredity is this amazing biological phenomenon that God has instituted. It's a, a, a bunch of processes whereby humans and other beings and other created things, their physical characteristics are passed down from generation to generation. That's what heredity is. It's how physical programming, if you will, is, is, comes from the parents and passed down to the offspring. So Paul, Paul begins to talk about our inheritance or heredity. We all have first parents. A first parent is Adam. First parents, Adam and Eve. God made this beautiful design of heredity where their DNA would combine, their, their genetic material, if you will. I, I love it how the Bible says that God knit them together, knit, knit us together in our mother's womb. And if you've ever looked at DNA, for instance, this helical structure, it's almost like knitting things together. God knits us together through a process of heredity or inheritance. First parents, Adam and Eve, and basically, by and large, even though we're all different shapes and sizes, our forms have been passed down since our first parents. These natural bodies, that's what we inherited. That's what we inherited from our first parents. But then he says, from our second parent, our second forefather, the second Adam, the last Adam, that is Jesus, we're going to inherit a different kind of body. Let's read verses 45 through 49 as he talks about these things. So it is written, the first man, Adam, that's the historical Adam that you would read about in Genesis, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual does not come first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of the dust, so are those who are of the dust, that's us, like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. <laughs> Amazing. Talking about heredity. And from the first Adam, we inherited this physical form that is broken. It's bound to corruption. It has an expiration date from the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus who became a life-giving spirit. That is, he was resurrected with a spiritual, heavenly body. We will inherit that image and that likeness if we belong to him. If we belong to him, we will also inherit that. But he says, but first was the first Adam, the man of the dust, who was created from the particles and the things of this world. And so will we have that first. But if we are found in Christ, if we are bound to Christ, His DNA, if you will, programs us for a different body in the resurrection. And our resurrection bodies will be like His. And so then Paul basically cuts to the chase. That's my third point today, cutting to the chase. Verses 50 through 55. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. I love it when the Bible says this. He said, look, this is something revealed from God. People wonder about, you wonder about, let me just tell you about it. 
Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we, that is those who are alive when Jesus comes back, will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. This natural, earthly, corruptible, mortal body is not suited for the age to come. It's not ready. Anymore then you would be ready if you went in what you're wearing today and got on a spaceship and went to the moon. You would not be fit to live there. And so it is with our bodies. There is something so different about the new creation that you're not fit in this current body. And so it must be planted, it must die, it must be cast aside in order to put on your heavenly body, your heavenly clothes. Jesus' own resurrection body. That's the pattern. Now, maybe there's some differences there. If we're thinking about what are we going to be like personally, help me understand what's it going to be like for me. Well, you're going to be, if you're in Christ, in the resurrection, you will have a body. Not just some spirit floating around disembodied, but a body, a resurrection body. You know, it's interesting as you just look at the pattern of Jesus and we try to draw conclusions. And I don't know, you know, I think there's some good patterns there. I wouldn't want to push it too hard. But, but Jesus, he appeared to people. And he, he said, touch, touch me. He was recognizable in ways, but at times some didn't recognize him. I don't know what was going on with that. He even still had his wounds and scars. I don't know, will I have my spider bite mark in the resurrected body? I don't know. I don't think it's going to bother me any if I do. But maybe it is that only Jesus will still have those wounds as a constant reminder of what he gave for us. I, I don't know. But the resurrected bodies, they come to life. And, and, and when you think about Jesus, he, he ate with people. He actually sat down and had meals with people. See, that's what I'm saying. I think we will eat and feast in heaven. And yet he was not bound in that body, to some of the physical structures. The Bible, as you read about these uh, post-resurrection appearances, you know, he was in a room and then he just, he wasn't. Walking through locked doors and things like that. And I think that just speaks about that greater reality. Some of the unbinding that occurs with resurrection bodies. And I know that's kind of freaking you out a little bit, but it's just a greater reality. That's what I would say. Here's an interesting thing. Will you have flesh and blood in your resurrection body. Well, he seems to be making the case that you, it will be a kind of flesh, if you will. And this is one of the things you kind of scratch your head about because this says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says right here. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you that I think our pattern that we're supposed to look at is Jesus' resurrected body. And when Jesus was resurrected, he went to his disciples. And actually at one point, 
He says, touch me, feel me. For I am, what does he say? Do you know? He says, I'm flesh and bone. He didn't say flesh and blood. He says flesh and bone. That's, that's different. So which is it? Which is it? Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, God that is the age to come. But the resurrected body is Jesus by his own description. Flesh and blood. Well, I think we need to look at what those phrases are talking about and how they're used. Often when the Bible uses it, it's like an idiom. Flesh and blood. It's talking about just the natural way of things, the earthly way of things. For instance, you could look up uh, Matthew 16, 17, where Jesus tells Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, that's not an earthly, worldly thing that you just conjured up. Flesh and blood is earthly. It's of this earth. It precludes the supernatural. But flesh and bone, what's he talking about? It's substantial. He says, touch it. Touch me. I'm not Casper the friendly ghost. I'm not a ghost. I'm not just some spirit or hallucination. Touch me. It's real. It's reality. But it is not just of this current reality. Not bound by this current reality. So here's the deal. Because I think some people are freaked out a little bit about thinking about things to come. Some Christians even. We don't want to leave this earth or this body because... All we have ever known is embodied existence. And the teaching and the doctrine of the resurrection is that you will have a very real existence. That is not less. It is more than what you currently experience. It is not diminished. It is augmented. It is so much better. So when are you going to get your resurrection body? There are people that teach and believe that uh, the dead in Christ, those who died and they're saved, they're Christians, already have their resurrection bodies. I don't think so. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the resurrection of the dead, resurrection day, happens altogether. Every Christian is resurrected, receives that new body on the same day. When is that day? Well, it says here, in a, it's going to happen in a moment. It's an instant in human history. It says at the last trumpet, that is when Jesus comes again. When God has decided that this current age, it's time to give way to the age to come. The new heavens and the new earth, he's going to send Jesus back. And folks, it's going to happen like that. There will be people going about their daily routines, going to the county fair, cooking supper, getting married, being given in marriage. And there's going to come a day when the door to eternity closes for all of those who have rejected. There is a day when Jesus is coming again and those who have been found in Him, given their lives to Christ, that is, we say, have been saved, have trusted in what Jesus did and let His death cover their death, there is a day when Jesus is going to come again. And it says it's going to happen instantaneously. What's going to happen instantaneously? The dead in Christ are going to be raised with new bodies. And those who are alive at his coming will be transformed. Without their bodies, this physical body ever going in the grave, they're going to cast off this body and be changed. You won't even know it. It's going to happen that quick. And we're going to be transformed and ready for the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to put on our incorruptible bodies. 
And he said something amazing is going to happen. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. One of the great promises of the new heavens and new earth is there's not going to be disease and decay and sorrow and death anymore. And it's kind of like, well, how does that happen? This is how, in part, I think it happens. God gives you a body that is impervious to those things. It's just not even a possibility. And so death is going to be swallowed up by the victory of the resurrection. You know, our greatest enemy, the greatest and most hideous thing, honestly, in this world, is the fact that death comes for every person. Because life is a wonderful gift. And to, to be alive, to be created by God and given the gift of having friends and enjoying food and getting to steward over God's creation, to, to care for animals, to experience all of the beauty, is such a gift. It's a wonderful thing. And yet all of our lives, from the time we become conscious of it, we realize there is a day coming. And we don't even know that day. It could come. When you're two. <clears throat> it could come when you're five. It could come when you're 20. It could come when you're 50. You may live to be over 100. But the fact is, we know for every one of us, this great enemy of death says it's going to close the our eyes and it's going to stop our heart and it's going to still our lungs and it's going to cease our blood from flowing I was on the phone on the way to church this morning and uh, talking with my mom <clears throat> and uh, I, she hadn't called me in a while and I thought something's up so I got, I got a hold of her and she just began to tell me of family member after family member just bad news. Death. This one looks like it's coming. And then a close family member who's in his 40s laying in a hospital with heart blockage, hernias, all kinds of things. At 40? It's just, it's not supposed to be that way, is it? But we know that's the reality. And I hate that. I hate death. I hate sickness. <laughs> but I have this hope. And I know that God is doing away with that. There's this greater reality that can be yours. A promise of resurrection and life. And Jesus, His resurrection, is your proof that it's real. And that it's for you. you. But you've got to belong to Him. You need that hope. You need that resurrection. You need Jesus. And I do too. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to actually close out our service today uh, singing one of the songs, that last song that we sang. And uh, during this time of, of singing and thinking about this amazing reality of resurrection, if you're here today and you have never been saved, this is just a space, a time 
before you march back out and turn your phone back on and have to answer 100 calls and check your email and go to lunch and get about all of the things that we do, this is a space for you to just think about eternity and to think about, are you ready? Do you know Jesus and know that when your time comes, you are safe and secure in his arms? And you have that hope. If you have never trusted Christ during this time of singing, we're all going to stand here in just a minute. And I think it's just a space that you should really think about preparing for eternity and receiving the gift of life. And letting Jesus' victory over death become your promise and your victory. And I I just would say do it right there in your pew. Do business with Jesus. Only in Jesus is there a resurrection. I'm going to tell you something. Nobody else has ever come up out of a grave except by the power of Jesus. No one else. Now there have been people raised from the dead. In the Bible you see that. But nobody ever had a resurrection like Jesus. And it's all from him. You can't do it. I don't care how much you work out or how much, how good you eat or whatever. You cannot exercise and good diet your way to heaven. There is no way. I don't care who, how good your doctor is. I don't care how many pills you take. I don't care how many vitamins you take. You cannot by man's power have resurrection, but by Jesus you can. So I would just say right there, please give your heart to Christ. And receive life. And then, for if you're here and you're, you're a Christian already. Maybe you're like me. Maybe, maybe you just heard some news you didn't want to hear about loved ones. Maybe it's you. I just think this song is a great time to sing out about what we have in Jesus. And for us to be refreshed and have our living hope renewed in the promise of the resurrection, okay? So it's it's just let the light shine back in your fearful heart. Let hope creep back in and know that death actually, for the Christian, death is nothing more than putting the seed in the ground knowing that a greater life is to come. That's all it is. It's getting getting rid of this old decaying body. It's not fit for heaven anyway so that you can receive that one. Man, that's, that's a great truth. That's a great truth. So let's sing. Let's celebrate. Let's do business. Let's think about the resurrection. And after we sing this song, you'll be dismissed. Stand with me, please.
my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hope, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me.
Amen. And you all are dismissed. Have a blessed week.